We are in Colossians 2. I have notes to keep us on track. That's a good thing because you don't want to be lost in my brain. It is time to start building on the knowledge of who God is and what he has done. And this matters because you are supposed to take that knowledge and actually do something with it. So bad example time. You ready? If you are sitting there and you know every answer on Jeopardy, but you are sitting on your couch, what are you in? Nothing. If you know who God is, if you know who Christ is, and yet you still live like the world, what do you win? Well, you actually win something worse than nothing in that situation, but you get the point. This is Paul's concern for the church. This is a legitimate concern for the church because this is supposed to be the concern of the Christian day by day. Once again, you do not just go out into the world in the hopes that nothing bad will ever happen to you, in the hopes that you will encounter no evil, in the hopes that the world will just give you nothing but sunshine and love and puppies all the day long so that you never are confronted with anything that would make you uncomfortable. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? It's not reality. Once again, where do you have to live? You have to live in the, world, the world, in the world the way that it is, not the world the way that you wish it would be. So you need to be concerned with, are you living according to what you know? That is the apostolic concern. That should be your concern. So let's dive right in. Verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. Notice how this is working. Why is Paul striving? He is concerned about the accomplishment of the kingdom, the building up of the people. Once again, something to remember. Does Paul know these people? No. No, he doesn't. He knows of them. He does not know them. They are not his people. They are God's people. That matters. And because you are God's servant, teaching God's gospel, encouraging God's people, do you need to know them to encourage them and write to them? No, therefore you send it out. God is the goal of ministry. God is the goal of your living. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 gives you a good example. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. I'm sorry, I read the long line. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. You want to know how to ensure that you are building for eternity and not building here. Are you building accordingly in a way that would honor God and build up his kingdom? If you are, you are engaged in gospel work because that is the goal of gospel work. The building up of God's people. Now, keep in mind, who are you? Let's stop for a second. Do our definitions. In Christ, who are you? You are part of God's people, right? However you want to describe that, child of God, redeemed of Christ, however you want to describe that, you are part of God's people. When we are trying to build up God's people, who are we trying to build up? You! <laughs> you! Let's make this easy. Where's your, where's your first ministry? At home. Your first ministry is always at home. Who does that start with? You, your first ministry starts with you. It's, it's the bad airline joke, right? 
In the event of a loss of cabin pressure, what happens? An oxygen mask will drop down in front of you. Please adjust your oxygen mask before helping your child with his. Why? Because because parents are dumb. And I'm serious. We don't think all the time. How many? T- and what they did was they you do practices on this, you do runs on this. You know what they were discovering with parents? The oxygen mask drops down, and you care about your child, so you do what? You grab them, put their mask on. Meanwhile, whose doesn't have any oxygen? You pass out. Can the kid help you? No. What needs to happen first, mom and dad? I need to put the oxygen on. Take a breath. But poor little Bobby doesn't have any oxygen. I know that. He will. Yes, he's a little lightheaded right now, but now that you have oxygen, what can you do? You can help. And now we're all good. Get that problem the other way around, and we're all doomed. Now the kid's sitting there breathing, screaming, and you can't help anybody. Christian, this is your world. Your ministry starts with you. Your first discipleship priority is you. Are you walking in the truth? Are you abiding in the faith? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and ignore the log that is in your own? You hypocrite, what thou shall you do? Take the log out of your eye so that you may look clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You have to deal with sin wherever you would find it. And where are you going to find it the most? If you're being honest, you're going to find it where? (laughs) In you. Not in me, in you. (laughs) I'll find it in me, you find it in you, and then we'll occasionally, you know, we'll we'll point each other's stuff out. There you go. (laughs) If you're not doing that work, if you're not actually preparing yourself, you are of no use to anyone else. You are giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, but what are you giving? I don't know. You have to be grounded and built up day by day, solidly. This is why Paul can write the way that he writes. This is why Paul can work the way that he works. He knows. He knows upon the ground that he stands. He has no question. He has no doubt. Therefore, it is not draining to him to send letters off. It is not draining to him to travel. It is not draining for him to teach because he is empowered and he is grounded. He has done the work first. I have contended for years. Everybody always gets worried about this with me, and it's not just you guys, so don't feel bad. I have contended this for years. The problem when we talk about ministry burnout is because people are doing something they're not supposed to be doing or people are not doing the things they are supposed to be doing. What I mean by that is pastors are trying to convince everybody else of something without ever doing the work of discipleship in themselves first. See, I'm telling you what I'm telling you because I actually believed it first. And I actually understood it first. And I actually knew it first. That's why I can tell you about it. Doesn't do me any good to come up here and start talking about a bunch of stuff I don't know. I mean, you've seen that, haven't you? I had a friend of mine do that to me in seminary. I could have killed him. I had my, um, my preaching professor. Yes, that's a thing. <clears throat> Most annoying class on the planet. Would make you write out a full outline for a sermon and turn it in. And he would grade the outline. And then you had to preach for 10 minutes. You could preach like a mini version of an entire full-length sermon. You could preach a full introduction and then highlight your points, whatever. But there was one condition. You talked for 10 minutes on your topic according to your outline without notes. It's more complicated than you think. See, I don't do that now because I have too many cross-references to read. And that's half of what my notes are. But first time I ever got up there, I got about three minutes in, and I got lost. You can't imagine that I would ever get lost trying to follow a point, could you? Now, here's the thing. I'm actually fairly good at public speaking, and I'm decent at it, and I can hold a train of thought fairly well, and I can also disguise when I have lost a train of thought fairly well. So nobody in the class recognized it, except my friend who was sitting up at the top of the room, and he goes, yeah, you did a really good job, especially about the halfway mark when you lost where you were going, but after about two minutes, you got back to it. 
Even the professor goes, really? I didn't notice. I'm like, I know you didn't notice. That was the whole point. <laughs> I could have strangled him. Threatened to. <laughs> yeah, but you have to know. In order to, and this is why this is so important. This is why what we do on a Sunday morning is so important. You have to know what you believe before you encounter a world that's trying to destroy it on a day-by-day -day basis. This is why, again, those hard conversations with the person in the mirror, you are building up strength, grounding in the faith, empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that you can enter into the world and actually do battle. Because if you are not prepared and you do not know, do you know where you're going to be when the battle begins? Hiding in the back somewhere. That's not useful. That's not helpful. You are to be about gospel ministry, the strengthening of God's people that starts with you and then works outward. Outward to who? I don't know who's in your life. Who do you care about? Who do you interact with? Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Is it a sibling? Is it a grandparent? Is it a neighbor? Whoever it is you interact with, there's your world. Be fruitful and multiply. Go, make disciples. Fight the good fight. Endeavor to increase the faith. 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment. Be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You have been placed and empowered by Christ through his spirit to accomplish the building up of his kingdom. Build up your faith, strengthen yourself day by day, and use the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you for the building up of the kingdom. If you're not doing that, you have forsaken gospel ministry. You are building up something else. Recognize that for that too, Christ has died. Repent and return to the path and begin again. This is the goal of living. How am I building the kingdom day by day? Remember, your world is different. Terms and conditions may apply. Your value, your mileage may vary because your world is not my world and my world is not your world. Be glad and be thankful. But you have to encounter it honestly based on the foundation that is in Christ. Let's continue. <clears throat> ooh, ooh, this is my favorite part. There's a pop quiz. Are you ready? Of course you're not ready. That's why it's a pop quiz. So, how great a struggle I have in your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all of those who have not personally seen my face. Seen my face. Paul is demonstrating an apostolic burden. Remember what the apostles were told in Acts 1. And I know Paul wasn't there at the time, but Paul is an apostle commissioned by Christ, same burden. He said to them, Jesus told them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Paul can't get to the remotest part of the earth, but he can plant churches and make disciples and they can encounter and they can encounter and they can encounter until what happens? The gospel has reached the ends of the earth. That is part of his burden. That is what he cares about. Now, here's your pop quiz. You ready? Quick aside because they got mentioned. And if you asked me about this, and I know a couple of you did, you are disqualified from answering, okay? Did anybody do the work and find the Colossian church in the letter to Laodicea in Revelation 3? Huh? 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 Did you find them? Were they there? See, I know none of you did the homework, so hold on. Mm -hmm. Disappointed dad face again. Mm, okay. <laughs> Revelation 3, because just, just, this is worth covering. I know your deeds. This is to the Laodiceans. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Colossians are right there. Uh, Laodicea is on the river valley along with Hierapolis and Colossae. 
Uh, Laodicea doesn't have a good supply of drinking water. Colossae has cold river, uh, cold mountain runoff in, in cold river water that they can supply themselves with. And Hierapolis was famous for its hot springs. So Laodicea got their water by either pumping it in from Colossae or by pumping the hot springs down from Hierapolis. Either way, when you do that over long stretches of time, what happens to the water sitting in the pool that you piped it into? And it was not uncommon for visitors to Laodicea to take a drink from the water because it's this weird, mineral-rich, half-warm water to go until you got used to it. It's an example being made based on the people there. They are not a good church like Hierapolis. They are not a good church like Colossae. They are neither hot nor cold. Therefore, because they are just in the middle of the world. They are in the middle of everything. They will be spat out of the mouth, just like they're drinking water. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because if you don't know the history, it doesn't make any sense. And people are like, do you want me to be mad at you? Do you want me to be happy? I don't know what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter. It's about, they're not Colossi. That's where the Colossians are. They're the cold church of Revelation 3. They're a good church. They're solid. That's why Paul's encouraging them. He wants them to continue on the way that they are. The Hierapolis church is doing the same thing. That's why they don't get a letter in Revelation 3. But Laodicea, who is struggling, it's the same. same thing goes on with the, uh, the, the why they're called naked because Laodicea was famous for its wool and why they called themselves, uh, why they're called blind because Laodicea was famous for eye salve and medicinal ointments. It's, it's using the things of their city and the things of this world to point out to them how they have trusted in themselves. Now, that has nothing to do with Colossians, but worthwhile, now you know where they are. Now, why does it matter that Paul writes to people who have not seen his face that he is burdened for them? The simple fact that there exists Gentile churches that have not seen the face of the apostle to the Gentiles is cool and terrifying at the same time. Why is it cool? Well, that means the gospel is going beyond Paul. It is going beyond the churches that Paul has directly planted, which means the gospel is conquering out into the world. It is spreading. The kingdom is growing. That's awesome, right? If you're an apostle burdened by the spiritual soul, spiritual state of men and trying to encourage the churches into sound teaching. And there are churches that are being planted and built up that you don't know how they're doing and you don't know who founded them and you don't know what they've been taught. Is that not terrifying? It is. Unless you are grounded in who? Who saved you, Christian? Who saved them? Who taught you? Who taught them? Who preserves you? who preserves them. This is a lesson in where your rest and your peace and your hope are found. If you have to do it, if you have to explain it, if it's not accomplished unless you've, it's done by you, something is wrong with where your trust is. Something is wrong with where your hope is. Paul can send them a letter, but at the end of the day, the gospel is going to outstrip Paul. It is going to go farther and beyond where he can reach and where he can even send letters to. This is... This is hard for Christians. This is hard for people. At the end of the day, what do people want? Give me a list. Give me a list of things to do so I wake up in the morning, I know what I need to do by the end of the day. There's nothing worse than having a whole pile of things to do and losing and being disorganized. Because you're halfway through the day, you think you're doing well, and then you realize what? There's like 27 things that I haven't done yet. Now, what happens to the rest of your week? It's, it's just, you're off kilter. It's out of line. Cameron will notice this about me. She's, she's picked on me about this before. I had years ago, it doesn't happen often, but years ago we had somebody in the church who was having heart surgery at 5 a.m. on a Monday morning. <sighs> Came out of surgery, went to see him. I didn't get into the office. Like I got up at 4 a.m. to head towards the hospital, and by the time I got back to the office, it was like 11. And you know what condition I was in? <laughs> I was done for. You know what I got done on a Monday morning? 
nothing. Monday is the day I like to get everything for the week done. Do you know what I was like the rest of the week? <laughs> I was just like, I didn't have a Monday. I didn't have my Monday. I don't know how to function when I didn't have Monday. And I got over it by about Wednesday, but it took me till Wednesday to get back over it because I, I want my habit. I want the things in life. Now look, I don't get that every day and I don't get that every week and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, it's not about my routine. It's about how I work and how I serve and what my priorities are and what is important. This is a lesson for you in life. I want a list. The Holy Spirit doesn't give you one. The Holy Spirit goes, go out, evaluate, think, look at the world, evaluate what is right, what is wrong, make determinations, assume that the world is out to get you because sin is always out to get you and live accordingly. And that's hard because it basically is telling me what? I don't ever get to relax. I don't ever get to rest. I am forever tired. I am forever worn out. And you're supposed to be. Where's your rest, Christian? In God. Where's your hope place? Is in him. Your peace is in eternity. For a second, I was like, I thought somebody was playing the piano. <laughs> I like how that just built up for a second. It's like a bad game and named that tune. <laughs> oh, because I had elderly grandparents, I know what the Golden Girls theme is. <laughs> There's somebody at my gym who watches that in the morning. I can't figure out who. Like, who decides at 7 a.m. they want to walk on the treadmill and watch the Golden Girls with closed captioning? I've yet to be able to figure that out. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, it is what it is. So, Paul is burdened. He's going to continue on verse 2. This is what he wants. That their hearts may be encouraged. This is what he wants for the Christian. Why? Why do you want that? Because that's the work that Christ does. This is what he told the Ephesians. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. That's what it means to have your heart encouraged, that you would live in the world fully, actively conscious of the love and accomplishment and knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done. That's helpful. You want your world to look differently to you. Look at it through those glasses. How many of you ever worn glasses? <laughs> like you, you put them on, you take them off, and you're like, the world looks a certain way, doesn't it? Then you put them on, it's like, hey, oh, there you are. Look at it, you guys came back, good job. <laughs> they laughed at me when I first got glasses because I needed them for like a year before I went and got them because I didn't realize just how bad my vision had gotten. And I sat there in the store doing this like trying to read stuff and squinting and then putting them on. And they were laughing at me. I'd never, I'd never worn glasses. I was 34 years old, never put on glasses before. And they're laughing at me and going, what? This is cool, actually. <laughs> like, I'm blind and now I can see. Like, I can't read that and now I can. And it's like, oh, I can read what's across the room. And they were just laughing hysterically, the little person trying to do the fitting. I was like, apparently nobody reacts like that anymore. They didn't think it was cool. That's what the knowledge of God should do for you in the world. You should look at the world differently. You should, your glasses should be changed when you see the world. A better example that would be more universal. It should be like going out on a bright sunny day and getting to put on your sunglasses. You walk out and say, hold on. Oh, there's everything. Oh, look, now I can see what I'm doing. That's what putting on the gospel should look like in your world. It should change you from the inside out. So your hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. Why? 
Because they are now God's people. They are part of a new family. Again, what did he tell the Ephesians? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, from whom the whole body being fitted together and being held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And by the way, the reason why that's also important is because there are burdens and responsibilities that go along with that. Galatians chapter 6. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It's the other reason why you have to be sure where you stand. If I'm not sure where, stay, if I'm not sure where I'm standing, what happens when you start sliding down the hill? Yeah, I don't know if I can help or not. I got a good example of this, though. This is most, one of the most terrifying moments of my life. We went climbing at Grandfather Mountain in western North Carolina. It was a tourist thing at the time. It's, it's still actually a fun climb. But there are a couple of different ways to go up the mountain, but there are no ways to go up the mountain that don't involve you at some point having to climb a ladder unless because they, they don't like you digging into the rocks and you know putting your own ropes in and things like that. So we were making this hike with Cameron's two younger brothers, my mother and her German shepherd. So we went up one section, and we were trying to come down a different way. No, 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 we came back down the way we went. I, I had lugged Rommel up. That was the name of the German Shepherd. There, next to the ladder on the side of the mountain was a cable that ran up the hill. So if you were holding the cable, you could kind of make your way up the incline. So I took Rommel with his little chest harness on. I held the back of his harness, and we, he and I went up the cable, up the, like, about the 10, 12 feet to the next ledge, and then we continued on our hike. We eventually got to a spot where we couldn't do it anymore, so we decided to come back down. Dawn Don is coming down. We have to get back to that ladder. So Cameron goes down. We get the two brothers down. My mother goes down. And now I'm standing there with the German Shepherd. How am I going to go down the ladder? Well, I'm not. I'm going to go down the cable. And he and I are going to go across. And then we're going to be fine. So I grab the cable. And I have his harness. And I start sliding down on my butt. And about halfway down, Rommel realizes he has traction because he has four-wheel drive and takes off. So I went from halfway down the cable to the bottom of the cable because as he went, I didn't let go of him right away. And so I went to the deck. He got to the bottom and turned the corner and went, and I let go as my feet went off the side of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I can laugh about it now. I just... <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. See, I think I'm being helpful. I am of no use to the dog if I am not on solid ground myself. I can't help him. I'm useless. I needed his help. I'm going to come back. <laughs> Christian, this is you in the world. You can't bear one another's burdens. You can't help your brother stand firm if you are sitting in the muck and the mire up to your thighs. How you live in this world matters. How you see this world matters. You must be careful and wary and paying attention so that, one, you are aware when you are on sinking sand, and, two, you are aware when your brother is on sinking sand. These things matter in the world. This is your active living in sanctification. Always remember, uh, salvation, passive process, monergistic. God saves you. You don't bring anything good to the party. God saves you. um, Sanctification, synergistic. There is a passive portion where the Holy Spirit's like, no, we're making this. Come on, let's go. Let's keep moving. There is a passive portion, but it is an active portion. Do you want to be drug across the finish line or do you want to walk triumphantly? 
That's your active living in the world. That's your thinking, your evaluating, your understanding. You're returning to Christ day by day, being grounded in him, having those hard conversations and evaluating the things of this world. This is what Paul wants. He wants them doing that, seeing the world through the lens of the gospel, encouraging one another, being knit together, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. See, real quick, before some nitwit on TBN twists that passage beyond like yoga's uh, limits. Um, what is the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding? Philippians 3, all of your definitions are found in God. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Where is your treasure? Should be the same place that your hope and your peace and your security are found. If they are not, you have defined this world wrongly. For that too, Christ has died. Repent of your sin, return to the beginning. Pass, go, don't collect $200, but collect your regeneration and start again. Ooh, Bible Monopoly. I better not say, someone will make that game and then I'll have to make fun of it. So yeah, that was, they probably already, they, they already did, didn't they? Ah! See, that's a great idea, five years too late. See, I'm on the tail end of evangelical culture. I needed to be on the beginning with all my bad ideas. <laughs> Could have made more money. <laughs> There's reasons why I'm not allowed to make more money. It's because I would do dumb things with it, and I know this. <laughs> Don't nod. That's not nice. My wife is in the back going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not nice. <sighs> See what I got to live with? <laughs> I will. I've told you to pray for my wife. I, I, I get this. So there you go. The full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. What was the point? What was in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Why? To glorify his son. God puts people in the garden, tells them to be fruitful and multiply in full knowledge that they will rebel in every shape, form, shape and form possible. Why? For the glory of his name and the exaltation of his son. Why the kingdom? Why the law? Why the temple? Why the sacrifices? Why the work? For the glory of his name and the exaltation of his son. For the fulfillment of the work through the spirit so that God may be all in all. What's the purpose of everything? Christ. Christ. If you get to the end and the answer was something other than Jesus, you got the wrong answer looking at the world rightly, understanding through his work, through the change of your heart, through the building up of his people so that Christ may be glorified. First Timothy 3, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the point of everything. You want to know the answer? Doesn't matter what the question is, the answer is so that God may be glorified. Verse 3. This Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There you go. Where's everything good found? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. See, Jesus is the final revelation of everything because he's the point of everything. Once again, if you got to the end and, you answered, and your answer was something other than the accomplished work of Christ, if your answer was something other than the exaltation of the Savior, you got the wrong answer. John 5, this is what he argued with the crowds about. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. This is what everything was building towards. This is where it was always supposed to go. Things like Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, never forget, Okay, every once in a while I give you like a little hint to help you remember. I always remind you of this. When you're reading your Old Testament, how do you not get bogged down in the stuff that drives you insane? And look, you're human, I get it. No one, well, I better not say no one. There's like three people on the planet. Have ever like sat down and be like, all right, today's reading is numbers, baby. Yeah, been looking forward to this all year. Like there's, there's at least one weirdo somewhere that said this. And then there's probably like four or five who are like, yes, Leviticus, awesome. Okay, see, see I, had a, I had an Old Testament professor that told me this. So I, I can take this on good authority. Dr. John Salehammer, who was an odd duck if there ever was one, used to come in and lecture off a post-it note. I'm not kidding. I'm convinced to this day, like, his wife had to pack his luggage because otherwise he'd be like, all right, I got my notes and I got my books, and she'd be sitting in the corner going, did you bring pants? I knew I forgot something. That, that was Dr. Salehammer. What do you get out of Leviticus? You get out of it as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah. we, we threatened we were going to buy him something we knew he didn't own, which was an English Bible. He would, he, I, I tell you that. He brought three things to class every day. His Post-it note with his lecture notes on it. I'm not going to stick it right there. And his Hebrew Old Testament and his Greek New Testament. And whenever we'd ask him a question about something out of, a, out of, out of the Bible, he'd, what are you reading from? Okay, okay. Because he's not reading from that. He's translating as he goes and making us all feel bad. So <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> I don't have the brain cells. Let's stop. How do you keep yourself from being bogged down? Ask yourself, how does this get me to Christ? How does this get me from promise of the garden, promise of the lion from the tribe of Judah, promise of the prophet like Moses, promise of the sacrifice, promise of the fulfillment of the Passover? How does this get me to the king like David who rules eternally? How does this section, how does it get me closer to that? It will help keep things in perspective and make sure that the history, because I'm a history person, so I like that part, but if you're not a history person, you read that and go, I'm awake, I'm awake, I got this. I'm How do I do that? How do I keep that from happening? By reading it in light of the totality of the history. What's going on? Keep Christ in mind. He's the point. So here you go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Who's the Holy One? Well, it is God. Well, why do we need wisdom? We need wisdom because we operate in sin. Well, my wisdom needs to be grounded in God. But at the end of the day, even if I ground myself day by day in God, I am still not clean. There is still a priest that has to offer sacrifice. There is still a priest that is offering prayers. There's still an offering before the altar. I need something that is permanent. I need that holy one to actually accomplish something 
And it is that understanding of who God is that actually moves you in the right direction. That's why Paul can say things like this in Romans 2. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? This is why fear of God is so important. If you're not afraid of something, do you avoid it? I mean, you see this every year in the national parks. Did you see this? There was a story last week. Woman, I don't remember if she died or not. I think she did. She got gored by one of the bison at the at like Yellowstone or something. Why did that happen? Because some woman pulled into the parking lot at Yellowstone and went, "Oh, look, he's so cute and fluffy," and she wanted to go up there and pet the buffalo and stand next to the buffalo and get pictures of the buffalo. And the wild animal did what? What wild animals do? How probably? And I, and I say some woman because it's always a woman. I don't know why, but ladies, the animals do not like you. <laughs> I'm sorry, they don't. Your cat would kill you if it was big enough. They actually did a study on that like last year. They, your, the, the little house cat is like, it stalks you. That's why when you try to scratch it right, it'll actually bite you. The only reason your cat hasn't murdered you in your sleep is because it's not big enough. <laughs> Which actually makes me respect cats a little bit more. <laughs> so there you go. She's not afraid of it. Therefore, it was able to do terrible things because she gets too close. She's not worried. Now, Christian, you're supposed to have fear of God. Why? Because you are in sin. You are under judgment. And then you realize, oh, but it is God that has provided salvation. It is God who has made a sacrifice. Now you see what? Kindness and mercy and patience. Fear becomes balanced by who he is and how he has worked. This is necessary. Again, how does this get me to Christ? Because of that accomplishment, you can do things like Hebrews 4. You can enter without fear into the courts of God because he has made you new in him. Once again, coming back to that you would have a transformed heart, that you would see the world differently, built up in a community of faith, so that you would attain to the wealth that only God can give because he is the one who has defined it. It's almost like Paul wrote all of this with one train of thought in mind. It's amazing. (laughs) Despite what we try to do to the Bible. Verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Yes. Yes. This is one of the reasons why I laugh about the fact that preaching is actually a class at seminaries. Because what are we, and again, this is my, I, always, I always thought this was weird. Is we want to rest upon the power of gospel. So here, let's take a public speaking course so that you can learn the tools and tricks so that people will be convinced by what you say and do. Like, mm, don't those two things like not go along with one another? And by the way, you, if, if you've never paid attention and you don't know anything about public speaking, and if you don't do public speaking for a living, then I don't expect you to know anything about it. There are all sorts of rhetorical things that you have seen pastors do for years that you just don't pay attention to. Things like when we talk about one thing, we do this number, and then we talk about something else, we do what? If you make a point about the evils of the world, you stand on this side. If you make a point about the good things of the world, you stand on this side. It's a compare and contrast. And I'll even do those subconsciously simply because I can't stand still. (laughs) And because it was ingrained in me that you're supposed to do them, I will still do them. You know the number one thing you're not supposed to do? All of this. This is very distracting. You should have similar, you should have small, simple movements. So I violate one of the rules. Um, Another one, you should control the tone of your voice so that when you're making a point, leading into the point, you should be calm and subdued. And then as you make your point, you should elevate your voice. (laughs) That's one of my favorite ones. Um, My other favorite one is the repeat after me. 
You see, have you ever been to a church service where the first thing the guy says is, all right, we are going to learn something today. Look at your neighbor and tell them we're going to learn something today. Yeah. Now, why do they do that? That's a public speaking trick, because if I can get you to do something that I told you to do, you are more likely to not ask questions and to accept what I tell you without thinking about it. It's a subtle subconscious trick. (laughs) You didn't know that, did you? You're welcome. You're now reevaluating a lot of searches you've been to. (laughs) That's um, one of the reasons why. It's one of the reasons why churches will carefully control lighting. If you're sitting in a darker space and I'm sitting in a brighter space, you're more likely to pay attention. Makes it harder to zone out. It's less. You're less likely to take notes because if you start taking notes, you actually break the eye contact with the person speaking, and that's not conducive to you listening and doing what I tell you. It's one of the reasons why they encourage pastors to preach without notes because every time you do this, that's bad because they want you looking out. It's one of the reasons also why they tell you not to look at individual people but to look at areas in the room because if I do that, it looks like I'm looking at four people at the same time where I'm not looking at anybody. I violate all of those, and I just go from like person to person throughout the day. <laughs> and some days my neck hurts, so I only look to one side or the other, and uh, there we go. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> I point all of that out because that's what persuasive argument looks like. That's what convincing you by the tips and tools of the world looks like. That is not gospel ministry. That is the exact opposite of where Paul would have you to rest and where I would have you to rest. I don't want you to listen to me simply because you like listening to me, although it doesn't hurt. I want you to listen to me because it's grounded in scripture. If it's not grounded in scripture, we have something wrong. The other reason, the other one is preacher voice. I've told you about this one on Wednesday nights a bunch of times. Fun little note, if you have ever talked to me about anything, this is what I sound like. My wife will vouch. She'll be like, why are you dancing around? I don't know. I'm excited. Leave me alone. This is what I sound like when I talk about baseball. This is what I sound like when I talk about football. This is what I sound like when I talk about doing stuff with the kids. This is what I sound like, including the weird random fluctuations in my voice and the coughing and the whole nine yards. This is what I sound like. But you've never actually been to a church service where someone would change the way that they speak so that it would sound better, so that you would listen more intently. It's called preacher voice. Yeah, you're like, no, no, do that. I like that. No, no. That's called preacher voice. There are a few things in life I hate more than preacher voice. I have met these guys. You talk to them outside of church, and you're like, you're a normal human being. What is that? Because they get up there, and they start talking about God and Jesus. You've heard that one, too, yeah. This is one of my rules for life. If anyone ever drops God and they like add an extra syllable or they give you a Jesus, leave. Just at that moment, leave. No, just, just leave that one. That's, you're just better off. Now, again, why? Why do I hate that though? That's manipulation. That's trying to persuade you to do something. I don't want, you ready for the dirty little secret? I don't want to convince you of anything. I do not want to convince you of anything. I want to present Christ and his work in such a manner that the Holy Spirit goes, knock it off. And let the Holy Spirit do that work. That's his job. And you know what? Okay, dumb things with Michael. Here you go. The Holy Spirit's better at doing his job than I am. Like when I start trying to do God's job, you know who's going to make a mistake every single time? Me. I don't want to do God's job. I want God to do God's job. I merely present the tools according to the commands that he has given so that he can do his job, so that he can strengthen you and empower you and bring you wisdom and bring you conviction if that's what needs to be brought. I don't have to make you feel bad. The Holy Spirit can do that all by himself. 
I just have to present scripture and get out of the way. This is what Paul would have you to do. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service of building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the one God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result... We are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And that trickery and deceitfulness comes from more avenues than we would like to admit. Grounded on Christ, built up in seeing the world through who he is and what he has accomplished. Again, it is his wisdom that guides us. First John 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What makes a ministry successful? What makes a life successful? See, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, he who ends up, who, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? That was the mantra we were beating into us. Why did you have to do well in school? Gotcha. No, you had to do well in school so you can make good grades, so you can finish the top of the class, so you can go to a good college. Why do you have to go to a good college? Because that way you can get a good job, and why do you need a good job? So you can move to the suburbs and have a wife and a dog and 2.3 kids. I never figured out where that stupid point third of a kid was supposed to go. And that way you have lived a good life, and you have your mortgage and car payment and the whole nine yards, and that's the good life. Maybe it is. Look, look, maybe it is. And maybe it isn't. Because if you do all of that, and you have not God, what'd you win? I have really nice air conditioning on the bus to hell. Like, you have the crappy, crummy, loud one that, like, it's really, you know, the old window unit. Thing. Like, I used to call it the airport fan I had in my room. You'd turn it on and go, all night. And it got to the point, after, like, six months of listening to that, I couldn't sleep without it. Because you get so used to it. No, no, this is the nice air conditioning. You just turn it on, and the cold air blows, and it's just nice and... Us is still going to hell. Doesn't matter. If you've accomplished everything the world has told you is great, but you have not God, you have not won anything. How you define the world matters. How you define success and accomplishment in this world matters. You have to, again, hard conversations with the person in the mirror so that you see this place rightly and recognize that what changed you and what has accomplished things in you is what should be changing them as well. 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That's where it's supposed to be. It's where it's always supposed to be. That's what the beginning was. That's how you got in, was the power and accomplishment of God. That's the goal, progressing to the kingdom of God that he has built, that he is building, that he is carrying you to. So how do we finish up? Verse five, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit. This is the hope. 
This is the hope. The same spirit that is empowering Paul to do the work where he is doing it is the same spirit that is empowering the Colossian church, building, building them up, strengthening their elders, encouraging their teachers. It is the same scripture. It is the same empowerment because at the end of the day, how many churches are there actually supposed to be? <laughs> there is one body, one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. Why is there one? Again, Christian, how many access points are there? He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one, no one comes unto the Father but by him. Bob, Peter, when he got a chance to testify to the Sanhedrin, why can't he stop talking about Jesus? Well, they tell you, look, you can, you can go back out. As long as you promise not to talk about Jesus anymore, we'll leave you alone. No problems here. What's Paul's answer, or Peter's answer? I have to talk about Jesus because there's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Can't listen to you when I got to listen to God. And when you tell me to do something God told, when you tell me not to do something God told me to do, you're wrong. And when you tell me to do something God told me not to do, you're still wrong. (laughs) Because I see this world through the lens of who God is and what he has commanded. So, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Because again, go all the way back to the beginning. What's the goal? It's not different for each individual Christian. You have to have hard conversations to understand this world because you are being built up and carried along by Christ. That is good. But that is the starting point of your life in this world. You have to live in a world that hates you and is seeking to destroy you. Because when does sin take a nap? Just out of curiosity. Like, isn't it sin's nap time yet? Like, don't you watch the news and be like, just like 20 minutes. 20? 15. Can I have 15? Like, you ever negotiate with your kids when they were little like that? Be like, just an hour. Half hour? (laughs) Yeah, you're not getting that because you're... Ours were actually pretty good. Ours, were, ours crashed, mainly because ours were pretty much good eaters, and if you can get a kid full enough, they're usually done for. Yeah, Connor would fall asleep eating and drinking, be like, mm. <laughs> victory! All right, now what do you want to do? I want to do nothing. <laughs> Sin doesn't give you that. It never gets drunk on its own power because it's never got enough power. It's never happy with the destruction. It's never happy with the degradation. It just keeps going. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit hasn't taken a nap either. God has not slept. God has not forgotten. God has not quit on you. Therefore, you can war. You can battle because you have been empowered and you have been strengthened and you are being carried forward. 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves under that mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Remember, the animals don't like you. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And you have, and you have, I'm sorry, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. He hasn't forgotten. I always, I always like to be remembered. We always like to remember, everybody knows the part. The devil's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh-huh. Resist him firm in your faith. <laughs> I mean, James tells you, resist him and he'll flee. That's all this takes. You just rest upon who God is because he is the one who accomplishes. He is the one who protects. And again, this is where your joy should be. 
Third John. You know it's a good day when we're reading from the little books. Behold, I'm sorry, I'm reading behold because I can't read. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Why is that the joy? Because you're doing the work. It's being accomplished. You are being built up. You are overcoming the world. You are grounded in the faith, and we are at peace. Why? Because God has been enough. Christ's accomplishment has been enough. This is the question for yourselves every day. Is Christ enough? Because the temptation from the world is to say, no, 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 but we can have Jesus, and then we can do... (laughs) Is Christ enough? The testimony of Scripture is what? Yes! Yes, he is, if we would see the world rightly, because our hearts have been transformed, because Christ has changed us. Why? Because of his great work, his great love, and his great accomplishment. Therefore, we see this place rightly, and we can rest in him, knowing that as we battle, our battle is not in vain, but our battle is accomplished in his completed work. Let's pray.